during the month of September, October, and November, for some of you, uh, this is a 100-day practice period, 100-day, I should say, intensive, slightly more intensive practice period, where you, where we are dedicating ourselves, those who choose to, to pay particular attention to the practice of harmlessness, of cultivating actions of body, speech, and mind that um, that bring well-being and uh, and lessen the amount of harm that we cause ourselves and each other. Tonight I thought that I would start the evening by reflecting a little bit on the different ways that we harm ourselves. We talk about harmlessness, but sometimes we may not realize or slow down enough to notice the myriad, myriad ways that we uh, harm ourselves. And so the natural place to, to look at are what uh, are the expressions of body, speech, and mind, which are um, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds or actions. Thoughts, words, and deeds. So I'm, I was thinking today about the different ways that I cause myself or we cause ourselves harm with our thoughts. I'm curious if anyone, if anyone has any that scream out right now. What, how do you cause yourself suffering in your thoughts? Anybody have any versions of ways that you cause yourself harm? Please. Imagining the worst case scenario. Catastrophizing, please. Judgment of self and others. Judgment of self or others. So this there is a very chronic tendency to be harsh and critical with ourselves and with others. What others? Tanya. Comparing mind. I'm better than them. That's the rare one. That's the rare one. The, the more common one is. I'm inferior in some way. So the comparing mind, the the mind that the, the Buddha called mana or conceit. The conceit is uh, the the creating of thoughts of either above, below, or even thoughts of being equal are also a form of conceit. Someone else had their hand, please. Dwelling negatively of the past, incarnating, or yeah, getting lost in thoughts of the past. See, we can't really dwell in the past. We can only dwell in the present thinking about the past. But our, we tend to imagine that we're actually somewhere other than where we are. And that's, in whether it's past or future, uh, or even ideas of the present, we, cause, we can cause ourselves a lot of harm. Please, you had your hand up? Wanting to be uh, have the work already done to be in the place that that uh, that I'm already at, or no place that you want to be. So wanting things to be different than the way they are. Yes, we cause ourselves a lot of trouble caught when we're caught in the wanting mind. Please. Uh, 
So you, you caught... What was the first word you used? Planning. planning. Oh, pl- so planning, planning, all planning, or, or. So how does I'm curious? How does planning the future cause you suffering? So excessive planning. Okay, so we're just being kind of fixated or absorbed in our plans. And so to the extent that you're not really living where you are. Yeah. Because some planning of the future is a very wonderful thing to do and useful. So, please. Um, getting stuck in fantasies, and, which feels very pleasurable in the moment. Getting stuck in fantasies, which feels pleasurable, but causes suffering. Okay, I, you know, and I don't really need to give a talk on the ways that we cause... <laughs> I think you've got it. You've got it nailed. But I think see that there's one more here. Feeling victimized. So just a habit of mind of feeling victimized. It's a good one. That's a painful one. Please, Carrie. Attaching myself to my fears. Attaching, becoming attached to fears. Another time. Having fear of conversations and then holding, holding, and then imagining the worst. Please. Just in general, following up on what you said, just making assumptions about everything you think you know what's going on, what's going to happen, but you're just projecting. Yes, projecting what you think is going on and assuming what you think is true and having, often having it be, having not really a clue and having a lot of distortions. Please. Hatred causes our definitely. So I've heard the the gamut of of what the Buddha called the three poisons cause us suffering in our in our thoughts. The three poisons of greed or grasping what I don't have, uh, wanting things to be other than they are, uh, aversion, hatred, uh, fear, different forms of aversion in the mind. And then delusion is assuming we know what will happen and we don't, and assuming what other people are feeling or what other people are doing and creating all kinds of views about ourselves and others, which is all, are all different forms of delusion. So this is, um, this is just, we've just covered a portion of the, of the world of thoughts, how we cause ourselves suffering. And it is, when we practice harm, harmlessness, it means to, if we're looking at cultivating harmlessness, it means that we need to know what it means, how do we make effort in, in regard to harmlessness in the face of this, as I said at the beginning, and as you just described, the myriad ways that we cause ourselves suffering. How do I cultivate harmlessness? Uh, in regard to these tendencies. And the Buddha was very clear about how to make what our effort is all about. 
and what's possible. And, that, and to me, all the talk of wise effort and why one would commit to 100 days or a lifetime of practice is that, uh, that the way that our minds are trained to, uh, to think now, the way they, what you experience as your mind stream, all the myriad ways that your mind stream inclines toward uh, negativity or to greed, hatred, or ignorance, it is the result of what has been the seeds that have been planted. It's the result of practice. We are, from the moment we wake up, we are practicing. We are either practicing greed, hatred, ignorance, or we're practicing non-greed, non-hatred, non-ignorance. So the Buddha suggested that we are, uh, we are trainable, that we are practicing all the time, and why not practice wisely? And in terms of practicing wisely, he gave, um, he gave a teaching on wise effort. And this is actually a, a whole talk in itself, but I'll give you the basics of wise effort. Wise effort is cultivating, as he put it, cultivating the wholesome. And when we say cultivating the wholesome, we're cultivating, ideally, the antidotes to greed, hatred, and ignorance. So we're cultivating generosity as an as a antidote. That's one antidote for grasping. We're also, as a, as a way of cultivating uh, non-clinging or, or as opposed to generosity as one antidote for clinging, we also practice wisdom. So what is, what's wisdom, developing wisdom, how, what does that have to do with non-clinging? So wisdom, cultivating wisdom means seeing things with clear perception. And if we see with clear perception, we see everything comes and goes. We talk about that all the time here on Tuesday night in Dharma 101. Everything that arises has the nature to pass away also. So everything is changing. Everything is impermanent. To be in harmony with that truth leads to a natural letting go, leads to less clinging, less grasping at things that are unreliable and uh, not so helpful. So one of the natural antidotes for the greed in the mind is the cultivation of clear perception. Also the practice of generosity, the practice of, uh, of, of just um, letting go in all the forms that we can let go. It's just the opposite of clinging. The practice the, the antidote to the practice of uh, cultivating the wholesome in regard to the habit of, of aversion or hatred or ill will in the mind, that second poison, is the practice of love, is the practice of connecting. The practice of, I think last week we talked about really engaging with others, connecting and sustaining, and how just looking into somebody's eyes, really taking them in, pausing just to see who's there, to, to look beneath your automatic reactions and to, to make some kind of connection. And as I was describing last week, if you really sustain a connection with someone with, a, with an openness, 
of if your mind is open, it's very difficult to continue to feel ill will towards someone if you're actually connecting. That attention to anything naturally brings affection. And this is a great antidote to, to ill will. So, and any kind of internal thoughts of love, of, of friendliness, of, of well-wishing, uh, this, is an, this is something we can practice every day. This is where the practice of loving-kindness comes in. This is why people chant every day. I have a few examples of, of practices that people do, planting the seed of wholesome thoughts in the mind. Remember, the first wise effort is to cultivate the wholesome. So this is a, a beautiful passage that that uh, was passed on to me about 20 years ago. Someone who, who created some words that they use for their practice of loving-kindness. May all beings have happiness in the causes of happiness. May all beings be free of sorrow in the causes of sorrow. May all beings never be separated from the great happiness which is sorrowless. This is actually from the Tibetan tradition. But then this part, I think, was uh, more individual. Just as long as I'm in the world... May I be a light in this world. Just as long as you are in this world, may you be a light in this world. Just as long as we're in this world, may we be a light in this world. May all beings have happiness, the cause of happiness, free of sorrow, the causes of sorrow, never be separated from the great happiness, which is sorrowless. And then here's another one that both encompasses the cultivation of goodwill and letting go. So greed, non-greed, and non-hatred. May we be happy and peaceful. And may we know things just as they are. May we take care of each other and we know things just as they are. May we find joy in our lives. May we know things just as they are. May we be happy and peaceful. May we have happiness and the cause of happiness free of suffering, the cause of suffering. And may we know things are just as they are. So this is cultivating the quality of equanimity or serenity. That's another expression of letting go. So cultivating the wholesome, um, when it comes to the cultivating the wholesome regards to um, delusion, the the antidote to delusion is that sense of seeing things as they are. And this is where the moment-to-moment practice of, of mindful attention to at least as a portion of our life, as a very central part of our life, to step out of the, the thought world, the world that we cre- create the versions of ourselves that are virtual, and step into the reality of ourselves, which as you may have felt while you're sitting tonight, it's not so easily reducible to all these narratives, all these concepts, all these stories. There's just mostly in the immediate felt sense of things, there's just, as I always say here and as the teachings present, there's just six things happening. The whole of our life is six experiences. Seeing, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, arising and passing that all these notions of ourselves as this or that, all these, uh, all these characterizations that we make, these critical 
views. They're, they're describing somebody that doesn't really exist in truth. They're describing the virtual me, the imaginary me. So an antidote to this, cultivating the wholesome, is that element of seeing things as they are, is recognizing yourself as an, in some ways as an indescribable process, as an indescribable uh, experience of life without the same, no, uh, beyond the notions of there being inside and outside, self, other, that whole, the whole domain that we usually get stuck in that feeds the comparing mind, that feed, the, the comparing mind is all about our conceptual world, imaginary world. It's not about the reality of the living present. So an antidote, cultivating the wholesome, is seeing what's actually here, right now. If we just ask ourselves a thousand times a day, what's happening now? You will never find, other than a story in your mind, you'll never find the one who, you've, who you have imagined to be so terrible, should be different. You, you can never find the situation that should be different. You can only find things in their, um, in their suchness, in their reality. Like right now. This is the totality of your life, sitting here. Everything else is imaginary. And what can you say about yourself in the totality of your life? What is true in real time? Please, Noemi. However, <laughs> you agree with that, however. Um, if we are truly interconnected, there is a reality out of part of us, and the reality is right now. Someone is getting killed. Someone is getting killed. I, so that the pain of that. Yes. Yeah, so that the pain of that. That's painful too. You were born. <laughs> no, um, but I mean, how when our mind goes to others who are suffering. You know, I think you mind if I stop you here, just because I, I kind of know where you're going. If you don't mind, I think it's really a, a wonderful thing to to be able to think about the world that we're connected to. But we often become so caught in the world that we're connected to, which depends a little bit on our imagination, to a degree, that it's very easy to miss the, the experience of the world that is real that is immediate, that is alive. So it's not taking anything away from the, from the truth of interdependence, from the truth of the pain of life. Those are important things to reflect on. But the tendency is to live in, in the idea of that and not always in the immediate reality of it. So even if, if right now you are in touch with the pain of the world, just to experience that, 
the pain of that, the immediate felt sense of that, if we're able to actually touch that, in that there's not, there's pain, but there's not suffering. In, in that there's pain, but there's not greed, hatred, and ignorance in that. There's not delusion in that. There is just the, the truth of it. And if I'm able to feel the truth of it, just what you're describing, in real time, it tenderizes my heart, it opens me, it leads to wise action, it leads to caring, it leads to, to usually something wholesome. If I just ponder the world and its pain, and I think about it and keep creating it in my mind, I tend to become disembodied, powerless, hopeless, and I end up spinning my wheels trying to figure out what to do, and, it, it, and it some, I somehow then start living apart from the flow of life instead of really connected to it. So we're trying to, I'm trying to speak tonight about counterbalancing the tendency to even have our, whole, our noble thoughts and noble sensitivity, how it can often lead to, uh, to more dis-ease instead of less. Because the whole of the teaching is about less suffering. It's not about metaphysics. It's not about adopting a view that the world is connected to everything. It's really about seeing how that impacts us in real time. And then doing whatever we can do to reduce the suffering in ourselves and others. So the first part of wise effort, I just want to keep going here for a minute. The first part of wise effort is to cultivate the wholesome. And then the second part is to maintain it, maintain the wholesome. So that means that you can't just have a, an experience of immediacy. You can't just have a, an experience of a loving thought. You can't just have an experience of, the, of, of pain. We have to continually open to it, continually open to pain, continually open to pleasure, continually open to life in its simplicity. You have to continually arouse thoughts and feelings of loving kindness and caring. So it's not something that we are so conditioned by, by habit that in some way we need a counter habit. We need a counter habit. Otherwise, we mostly just drift into the lowest common denominator, usually the fruits of what we've practiced that causes harm. We tend to, gravity tends to move toward, toward those things that, that causes harm. So for a time, we have to, and this is why the practice is often described as against the stream, we have to literally uh, counter this enormous um, current of habit that says, um, I'm not enough. Things, I won't be happy till the project, who was talking about, until I'm at the end of my project. Uh, we mostly just fall into ill will, hatred over there. And it really takes a, a kind of practice. So the second part that feeds into the first, there is the cultivation, there is the, uh, the cultivating the wholesome, maintaining the wholesome. The second half, the second two parts of wise effort are abandoning the unwholesome. It means to stop 
doing what causes harm. Stop it. (laughs) Stop doing what causes harm. Which means stop. When you notice that you're thinking critically or in a hateful way or in a when you're recognizing that your mind is stuck in the wanting mind, when you recognize that, and this is the power of mindful attention, this is the power of clear comprehension, when you recognize it, you have to, you have to make the resolve to stop it, to cut it off at that point, abandon whatever it is that you know is causing you harm. And especially in regard to thoughts, I didn't even get to to actions, and I didn't, I didn't get to the practice of, of wise speech. You know, we cause ourselves so much harm with speaking, without pausing before we speak, and causing harm with our words. And there's so much harm caused with our words. And noticing, without noticing the motivation for our speech, and, and how much of the time we're either lying or exaggerating or speaking to gain some kind of advantage to inflate ourselves or to put somebody else down or to to just some kind of, of power dynamic. And if we notice, obviously if we don't notice we're doing that, we it's very forgivable. But once you notice that you're doing it, you got to stop it. You have to practice for a time pausing. You have to practice for a while Considering, as I often share the passage that has stopped me from many a Dharma talk, where the passage that says, before you speak, consider whether your words are an improvement on the silence. And that's a, that's a, a real conversation stopper. But just think if we took on that practice to, to pause and to consider whether our words are, are going to improve the situation or not at least pausing long enough to see what's the engine that's driving them, what's the motivation. So to stop, abandon the unwholesome. Don't, do, say, don't think those things that you see when you see that your mind is just spinning, going into really dark places. Don't go there. I hate to use that expression, don't go there. It became this big cultural thing, don't go there. But... <laughs> It's a useful place to, to use that expression. As Annie Lamott said, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I try to never go there alone. <laughs> but we shouldn't go there alone in our, in our thoughts. We just, you know, stop it. And then the, the part that is very, um, that has so many benefits, the second part of, of the second half of wise effort is not only do we abandon uh, the unwholesome, but the fourth one is we prevent the unarisen unwholesome from arising. We make our attention, we make our mind, our attention, our effort so strong. This is why we have intensive practice periods. We make our mind so strong that it is literally like those... those um, the disparate strings of that are just floating in space that we weave them into a, a tight rope instead of just little moments, little fickle moments of mindfulness showing up kind of haphazardly 
just by some kind of grace. Instead, you cultivate it so strongly, your mind so oriented to the present that you that you develop concentration, that you develop that strength of mind, and then the continuous mindfulness that prevents the unwholesome from arising. Actually, becomes a, you become inoculated against the hindrances, the hindrances of wanting what's not here, to the hindrances of hatred, the hindrances of restlessness and agitation, the hindrances of doubt, that self-doubt that torments us. This is what, this is in, at least what I think of when I think of preventing the unarisen, unwholesome from arising. It means just make your mind strong. Have it so rooted in real time that your, that your uh, desire to be somewhere else, someone else, uh, begins to lessen. And then naturally, when we are more awake and aware with, with strength, we tend to be more clear, we tend to be more discerning, we tend to act more wisely and ultimately more lovingly. So just to go through... Um, so body, speech, and mind... I really think that's enough. We can think in terms of actions or or deeds. What do you do that causes you suffering in your life? What are the deeds that you do? What are the actions that you engage in that cause you suffering? We've talked about the thoughts, and everyone was so beautiful at confessing your delusions. How about on deeds? How about words? Anyone, how do you cause yourself suffering and others suffering with your words? Anybody willing to say, please? Just uh, speaking reactively when someone says something. Speaking reactively. Or stimulating, you just kind of shoot your mouth off. Shoot your mouth off reactively. Yeah, usually the wrong thing when we when we can't seem to keep our seat. Yes. You know, we tend to blame others for getting for losing our seat, but it's really never what the other person says. It's just the fact that we we can't seem to to hold, we can't seem to create the environment or space to receive what someone says. And so it's uh, get mad that we're so undermined, we're so groundless in a moment that somebody says something that pricks that fragile self-view that we have, that fragile view that's born of attachment to views and opinions in many cases. Thank you for naming that. What else? How else do we cause it? Please. I feel like sometimes conversations happen so quickly. Competition happens so... No, conversation happens so quickly. You don't realize that you're mindful until after, unmindful, not mindful till after. That's true, and so, and that moment that you realize that you weren't mindful is a very precious moment, and it's it's that same moment where you wake up, where the tendency is to go back and then beat ourselves up for being unmindful instead of appreciating that we're now mindful. We've entered into that open creative field again where we can make wise choices, cultivate the wholesome, abandon the unwholesome. And so that's, it's so important to be merciful at that moment, to plant the seed of mercy and maybe even more determination to catch, resolve to catch yourself in conversation, to, 
use the what we sometimes call the the 60-40 or the 80-20 rule. As soon as you're in conversation with somebody, drop into your body, put 60 to 80% of your attention in your body, and you'll find that you end up being more mindful. But that takes, it takes some kind of practice. Saw a hand on this side of the room. Please. Endless self-promotion or self-focus. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for admitting that. You're one of all of us have our own version of that. Tanya. So retell, retelling things of the yeah. past. To, yeah, that's some, yeah, because you're, then you're like giving energy to something that's over and done with. Giving energy to things that are over and done with. In words. In words. Yes. <coughs> yeah. It's an interesting, when we do give energy to things that are over and done in words, it's, it's interesting to reflect on what's the motivation for that. Yeah. And... Because it may have a wholesome motivation, especially if you meet somebody from grade school. <laughs> you might, it might be for the purpose of clearing. It might be the... But nevertheless, it's, it's just, in all cases, before we speak, consider, if we can, what's the, what's the engine? What's moving it? Please, Stephen. Taking great delight in trashing. Taking delight in trashing certain people, politicians. Yeah, being in a group and going out. I wouldn't know anything about that. (laughs) Speaking about people who are not present. Yes, gossip, idle chatter. Very good. I th- last one. Uh, not so good verbal tone. Not so good verbal tone. So they uh, the kind of sometimes <laughs> hidden, hidden, regardless of the content, a kind of aggression in your tone or, or um, yeah, put down. Yeah, very important. Not only to notice our words, but to notice our tone. Thank you. So uh, we can't. We didn't tonight. Our time is up. We didn't fulfill the the. The, uh, the action part, the deed part. Uh, maybe we'll do it next time. But consider this week in your, what kinds of thoughts, what kinds of words, what kinds of deeds in your life cause suffering. And, uh, and if you can, think in terms of this week, whatever way that you know how to cultivate the wholesome, and to maintain the wholesome, to abandon those things that cause suffering, and strengthen your mind, strengthen your heart, so that you can prevent the unarisen, unwholesome from arising. And I will leave you with no greater authority on using our time wisely for the, wise, for the four efforts, uh, none other than Nelson Mandela, who spoke about his time while he was incarcerated.
and he said this, You may find that the cell is an ideal place to get to know yourself, to search realistically and regularly the process of your own mind and feelings. In judging our progress as individuals, we tend to focus on external factors such as one's social position, influence and popularity, wealth and standard of education. But internal factors may be even more crucial in assessing one's development as a human being. Honesty, sincerity, simplicity, humility, purity, generosity, absence of vanity, readiness to serve your fellow humans, qualities within the reach of every soul are the foundations of one's spiritual life. At least, if for nothing else, the cell, and I, I consider the cell, you know, he was incarcerated, but the cell is any moment of mindful attention. The cell gives you the opportunity to look daily into your entire conduct to overcome the bad and develop what is good in you. Regular meditation, say about 15 minutes a day before you turn in, can be a very fruitful can be very fruitful in this regard. You may find it difficult at first to pinpoint the negative factors in your life, but the tenth attempt will reap rich rewards. Never forget that a saint is a sinner that keeps on trying. So let's sit quietly for a moment. And share the, finally, share the blessings of our time together, the goodness, the fruits, the benefits of our practice, and share them with a deep wish that all beings can have happiness and the causes of happiness. All beings be free of sorrow and the causes of sorrow, that all beings never be separated from the great happiness which is sorrowless. And committing ourselves, just as long as I'm in the world, may I be a light in this world. As long as you're in this world, may you be a light in this world. As long as we are in this world, may we be lights in this world. May our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings practice wise effort. Thank you. Thanks for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. Hope to see you next Tuesday, the 1st, or any other time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.